Hello and welcome back. Uh, today, Tommy and I are just going to be having a discussion about some of the current events going on, specifically on guns and mass shootings and some of the things we've been seeing in the in the media recently, because I think that's really near the top of everybody's mind. So, um, Tommy, kind of just kicking us off here, I think the, the two that uh, got the most media attention, not that there were only two, there were, there were a lot. Uh, of, of things that have happened, but the Buffalo shooting of a, of a Topps grocery store, and then, of course, uh, the Uvalde, Texas uh, shooting of Bar Elementary School, um, which was a bunch of, like, eight, nine, ten-year-olds that, that got killed. Um, first of all, um, what were your initial thoughts? Obviously, I know it's devastating and, and horrible, but uh, in terms of action that should be done and stuff what have you been hearing and what were you thinking well i uh i think there's a twofold problem uh and maybe there's more variables involved but one i think is mental health uh the people that are doing these things uh are not in their right mind and i think that's one issue and then there's also the availability of guns as the secondary issue um I would say I, I'm more for, you know, people should have the right to bear arms. Um, at the same time, when you see these things going on, it provides a kind of an emotional response that, you know, how are these people, you know, that aren't in their right minds able to get weapons and, and kill a lot of people? Uh, so it's a, it's a two-pronged problem. How do we, how do we create a society that this is not commonplace uh, and how do we also respect the rights of individuals to keep and bear arms um, I'm not sure I know the answers but I guess that's what we'll be talking about today uh, what, what are your <laughs> right. thoughts on it uh, well I mean like uh, fundamentally I, I agree with you that um, it is primarily we've seen it uh, manifest um, through mental sickness. That's why um, these things are happening. And and the tool of choice quite often is a gun, uh, but it's not exclusively a gun. Um, you know, there was the, I think it was in December, uh, the guy ran through a parade of people using a car and killing, you know, however many tens of people um, in, in Wisconsin. Um, there are a lot of things that sick people do, and I think the availability of guns, it, it's fundamental and its place in our Constitution makes sense, right? Um, I think it was Dave Chappelle or one comedian said, uh, you know, free speech is, is the most important, and that's, you know, why it's the, uh, the First Amendment, and the second one's there in case the first one doesn't work out. Um, and that, you know, if all of a sudden we're in a place where um, the government or an outside force is trying to impose tyranny on us. It is absolutely fundamental that we have the ability to defend our lives and defend our freedoms. That being said, you can't ignore all of the stuff that's happening and all of the damage and destruction and pain uh, that are being caused by uh, sick people that have these weapons. Um, one side note, just on the issue of gun control as a as a political matter, as a legislative matter, 
um, I was scrolling through the news today and um, in a, let me see if I can get, in Nigeria today, um, over 50 Catholics were murdered in their church uh, by some terrorists that, um, you know, rode up on motorcycles and basically mowed down the doors of the church uh, with, with machine guns. Um, and that is in a place where there is no legal right to gun ownership. Civilians are completely banned from owning handguns, rifles, anything like that. Um, so when it comes to gun violence, uh, it's, I think it's just like any other dangerous thing or any other crime, right? You're never going to completely eliminate sexual assault. So if your goal with legislation is to completely eliminate uh, part of human behavior, that's, that's just not a realistic goal. Um, but man, yeah, I, when it comes to the availability of guns, I've been kind of struggling with that because one of the things that I've heard that I think um, resonates with me is the idea of changing the legal age to own a gun from 18 to 21. I have uh, concerns with that being that you can get drafted into the military and then have to use a gun at 18, uh, as well as you're able to vote, you're able to do these other things that show that you have reached the age of reason or what we've determined to be the age of reason. So if we see this as a problem, like all of your rights that come with adulthood should be moved to 21 as well, right? Like at that point, if you're an adult, you're an adult. And if you're not, you're yeah, not. Yeah, I, uh, what do you think? No, I, I think that's pretty reasonable. I think, uh, if we were to move that up, right, I think it would then be the age of being drafted should be 21. Um, and probably your right to vote at 21 as well. Uh, it, it, it probably needs to just be across the board. Um, and I think, I think we know now, uh, that people's, people's brains don't stop growing until I think it's like 24 or 25 in men. Uh, and I believe it might be a little bit earlier for women. I think they mature faster. Um, but that, that could just be a myth, but, um, yeah, I, th I think that that can reasonably make some sense. Uh, I think also, you know, a lot of people are screaming background checks, but there already are background checks. That's, that's not necessarily something new and, and something I wanted to to point out was, yeah, you're right. I mean, the people that are going against the law aren't going to follow new laws that are put in place. So criminals that get these guns illegally, putting new laws in, again, won't, won't do anything to stop that. So I think there needs to be some sort of balance. And I think it there probably should be a discussion where some of these things need to change because uh, it seems like right now it's, it's somewhat of an epidemic. It is. And uh, one of the Senate candidates who just won the Republican nomination in Ohio, um, his name's JD Vance. He also wrote a book that became a, a pretty big movie a couple of years ago called Hillbilly Elegy. But uh, he had an interesting take, which was, after the Uvalde shooting, asking, you know, what solutions or, or what led to this, 
his his take was that uh, it was fatherlessness that was the issue that we're seeing manifest all the time. It's broken homes, uh, you know, negligent parents, things like that. And I think there's there's a lot of truth, you know. Um, when we talk about these issues, they're so big that trying to find the actual root feels like there's so many different layers that you have to get down to. So when you and I say, okay, at the top level, this is a mental health issue. Where does that mental health issue come from? Does it come from uh, a lack of meaning? Does it come from, you know, uh, abuse from, from parents? Does it come from, there are a lot of ways that that can be created. And of course, some of it can just be innate. You can be raised in a completely healthy environment and still end up mentally ill, right? There's, there's nothing that you can do to completely eliminate that chance. Um, but there are a lot of other contributing factors that can create that situation. And I just thought it was, it was kind of a, a brave thing to say, because nobody wants to take on that issue of, oh yeah, the government subsidizes, um, broken families. Yeah. And I, I think that's another, you know, difficult, difficult discussion to have because, you know, there are, there are people where, you know, a marriage hasn't turned out right and divorce is the better option for those two individuals. And, you know, maybe there are circumstances where the government should help out. Right. Uh, but at the same time, when it's incentivized to, you know, you, you get more from the government when there isn't a man in the household. Um, I think you're incentivizing the wrong thing. And when the incentive structure is set up uh, and it results in a, you know, a poor, poor consequences, right? Um, maybe you need to think of changing the incentive structure. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's exactly what I'm saying. Um, it's, it's such a, it's such a hard thing to talk about, honestly, just because it's like, no, no matter what you're dealing with people that, um, I mean, how many of these mass shootings end up with them pointing the gun at themselves at the end? Like you have to be in such a, like unimaginably dark place in order to decide that this is your best course of action. Um, and, and I think the, the age that we live in of instant media, of instant, um, the ability to see everything as it's happening is just, um, I mean, you have, right. There's no way that you and I aren't desensitized to this topic. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Um, and that brings up another point. I think that when it's blasted all over every single media station, and people start talking more and more about it, those people that are in a dark place now can see that and see, oh, well, there's a way to get my name out there. Um, I know that's kind of a effed up thought, but there are like copycats uh, and people that, you know, whether it's good attention or bad, want attention. And this is so... But but that's like its own problem, right? Like you can't just not report certain things that go on. Um, but at the same time, I think that because of the access to media, because we know everything going on at, the, at every single moment, 
Uh, all these things are breaking news and yeah, people become desensitized to it that, oh, this is just a common occurrence. Um, and that's, did you, um, random side thought, did you ever see the new Batman movie? Yeah. Yes, I did. Okay. With Robert Pattinson, uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Vampire. Spoiler alert to anybody that doesn't want to uh, hear stuff because I'm going to talk about some of the plot of that movie. I thought it was amazing how they used the um, like 4chan, the like chat rooms as the way that the main uh, villain there, the Riddler, got followers to then decide to, you know, commit mass shootings. And um, like it, it just felt so grounded in reality because isn't that what we always hear is, oh, you know, yes, the a federal agent was in a chat room and was aware of this crazy person and just, you know, never did anything to stop them. It feels like every third mass shooting that's, you know, two weeks later, we end up hearing that the feds had information on the person and then, you know, just never acted. Um, and that's so crazy to me that, that I think what you were talking about there, there's a little bit of like a social contagion factor where somebody's in a dark place and then you go to the internet and you can see and meet all these other people that live in that dark place correct um and make you feel okay about it and encourage you to take action and that like the i don't know if you know this the the guy um that did the that shot up the tops in buffalo he he twitch streamed it oh my god live as he did that and it's like there is he probably had fans. He probably had people that knew he was going to do it ahead of time and, and watched it and enjoyed it. And that's, that's the part that just like is amazing in a country of 300 and however many million people. uh, If a very small segment of the population is, is very sick and enjoys that type of stuff and, and wants uh, that to exist, that can still be tens of thousands of people, you know? Yep. And it's like, uh, and, and when it comes to the school shooting, I had one other thought on uh, that occurrence. I think that the school shootings are the ones that bring us, uh, bring the most emotions out of us because it's like, these are kids. These are the most innocent people, especially this one in Texas. Um, the cops are catching a lot of flack for the fact that they, stood outside and barred parents from entering because they thought that the situation was different than it was. And like kids are still calling nine one one as they're getting shot. And the cops are just standing outside for 48 minutes. And that, it makes me so sick, but I think that all the, the school shootings are basically cult, followers of the original of of the columbine shooters um and that they like before that school shootings were not a thing that wasn't if you go back and look at pre whatever that was 98 i forget when exactly columbine was it was late 90s um guns were brought onto school properties i was talking with my uh uncle about this recently and it's like yeah um when he went to school high school in the 80s plenty of People had their shotguns on the gun rack in the back of their truck because they would go hunting after school. And, like, it w- there wasn't a fear of guns, and, it, and there was no association with going to school could be a dangerous thing. And now, like, 
you know, there are some viral TikToks about the teachers, you know, like um, showing their locks and the blindfolds and all the stuff that they have to um, have prepared for the case that there's an active shooter scenario. Um, you know, lots of different workplaces have those preparations, but the idea that the best you can do is lock your door and hope is so sad, so sad to me. Um, and I think the Ohio is passing or the Ohio house, I think passed a, a law that would make it a lot easier. It's, it's going to go to the governor's desk. Uh, I assume he'll sign it, but I'm not sure that would allow teachers with, you know, a, a normal amount of training, like 24 hours of gun, gun safety training and, um, shooting and proficiency and all that, uh, the ability to carry, uh, in school. And I think, and, uh, I was talking to someone I know who is a high school teacher that would potentially do this. And, and he actually read the law. Um, and, and basically what that means though, is, is you can't use it as, um, like I'm only going to, you know, protect my kids or, you know, my classroom. If someone tries to break in, uh, if you choose to accept that responsibility and carry a gun in school, then in the case that something happens, you essentially become, uh, like a first responder. You have to go and actively try to end whatever the situation is. So, um, there's, you know, that's a, that's a big weight of responsibility. Um, but I, I think it's the right choice. I think that the reason that a lot of these shooters choose schools is because they know it's a completely disarmed populace. Uh, and, you know, gun-free zones are the most dangerous place in America. That's that's my actual thought on that. Um, but what do you think about – I'm specifically interested in the, in the Columbine part of that because um, – who was it? It might have been Jordan Peterson that was talking about actually reading their manifesto and, like – fully understanding what evil is because they knew exactly what they were doing. And it was trying to, um, inflict as much pain as possible on existence before they exited it. Yeah. I, uh, I do remember either hearing Jordan Peterson talk about that or, you know, maybe, maybe reading it in, uh, beyond order, but, yeah, it's uh it's a pretty horrible thing and again, these people had to be in a dark place and I think it it may lead us back to the question of how do we how do we create a society where people aren't drawn to that dark place. Uh you know, I I think we're pretty privileged to live where we do and what is it that what is it about our society that that draws certain individuals to that? Um, yeah, I I do know what you're talking about with specifically, you know, the Columbine shooting, and they wanted to they wanted to do the most evil thing they could think of. It was planned, um, and it's it's just very dark and. Uh, I don't know. I, it's a difficult discussion. It is. Yeah, it, it really is. I, I think that there are, when you ask the big question of what can we do as a society to make it so that people don't end up in that dark place, 
um, there are answers. And the answers, I think, like I was saying before, are a number of layers deep. Yeah. And I think that one of them is that we have a crisis of meaning. Yep. Um, and it and it's creating a, a generation of people that feel entirely j- directionless. They don't have a plan for where they want to go. Um, they don't like what they see when they look in the mirror. They want to be someone else. Uh, and when you dissociate long enough from reality and who you are, um, then really twisted things can come to your come into your mind and, and you can manifest in the world. And I think that honestly, like it's, it's going to go back to it all the time. in, in a lot of these discussions, I think on, on bad current events, but I think uh, godlessness and a, a lack of faith in anything beyond the material uh, is causing these problems because we, we live in the most prosperous society that the world has ever seen. I mean, the amount of wealth here and, and the, um, the amount of cushion we have from real danger when it comes to nature and society and, and a lot of the things that everyone had to worry about, you know, 150 years ago and beyond for all the time, we don't have any of those. And we're not evolved for that kind of peace. So when we're in a situation where we have all of our needs met and we ha- we feel like there's no point in being alive or, or we have no reason, we have no purpose, man, it's like, yeah, it, it, how, how is it a surprise that we end up where we do? So I guess to, to jump off that, if we want to provide more meaning, if meaningless meaninglessness is one of the root causes of these horrific events. Uh, my guess would be that one of your solutions would, you know, to try and try and bring people back to religion, uh, to try and, you know, promote reading of, uh, of different books. I know some of the books we've talked about have specifically talked about meaning, uh, are those some of the things we need to do? Uh, maybe even in schools, try and, you know, instead of pushing people down, you know, college, this, that, you know, maybe it needs to be more on finding what you enjoy, finding the things that you seem to be good at and developing those. Uh, I think school right now is, you know, kind of one size fits all. Uh, Everybody's doing, you know, similar things. Yeah, there's honors courses and AP courses, but it seems to just kind of push us in one direction when I think there's many directions that people can go. And maybe that means, you know, a, a re a reassessment of how we're, how we're teaching kids to go at life. Is there, is there any merit to that? I think, Oh, there's so much merit, especially the the restructuring school piece. I think that is um, one thing that I am hugely passionately an advocate for, is that the school system that we have set up currently is outdated and um, illogical to the the outcomes that we're looking for. Um, If we are trying to create um, a generation that has 
massive anxiety uh, and and where only say 65% of people uh, can succeed through the system, then great, we're doing an awesome job. But if we wanna try to maximize the, first of all, they're like, in terms of careers, everybody needs to have a little bit of a different skill set in order for us to be successful as a society. So the fact that, I don't know about you, you, you went to a public high school, right? Correct. Yeah. Did you have like any uh, home ec classes or any shop classes that you had the ability to take? Uh, neither home ec nor shop. Uh, we had, there were some like uh, pre-med classes you could take uh, and like pre-engineering classes you could take. Uh, but again, that's only kind of two disciplines. Um, there was uh, like a trade school you could go to as well uh, for your okay. junior and senior years. So I, I think, you know, having that opportunity as well and trying to promote that was overall a good thing. But, you know, again, uh, I think there's still opportunities there. Yes, I. it's good that trade schools are a viable option in a lot of parts of the country. It's, it's not everywhere, which is, which is a shame. Uh, but I think in general, reading, writing, and arithmetic are all very, very important and should be taught in school, of course. But the other parts of, of life about how government functions, how businesses function, how, um, you know, the, the skills needed for life are not currently taught. And I think if you expose people to that at an earlier age and in a more creative way than just sitting in a classroom uh, being taught, that gives people the ability to find passions in school a lot more easily. Because, you know, I know plenty of people that were, you know, C students that thrived outside of school because they were able to do the things that they loved. And so just being able to bring in some of those things and, and giving kids maybe that don't have great home lives a chance um, to find a passion and uh, enjoy it and stick with it, um, that's, that's awesome. And I think sports do that for a lot of kids, but as you get older, it gets more competitive and there's less ability. Um, yeah, it's, it's really tough to, to try to think about restructuring something like school. Um, but I think that definitely the, it was built, the, the school system that we know today with summer vacation and, um, you know, kids being in school from seven to three or whatever it is, eight to three, um, that's, that's an entirely outdated system. And especially in the age of the internet, um, we have to be able to adapt so that kids have a chance because right now, um, they're anxious, they're depressed, they're, I mean, rates of, of teenage suicide went up during the pandemic, but they've been going up in recent years. And I think that all of that needs to, we need to take a step back and say, okay, what is the, the most important things that these kids could be learning? Because I really think, you know, I was one of the kids that took the honors classes in, in high school, but, um, you know, ask me how often I use trigonometry. Hmm. You know what I mean? No, like, no I there are completely agree. I uh, what do you what do you think in terms of like schooling? 
how, how should it be set up that leads people to success in the 21st century? Well, I, I think because we have the internet and because, you know, podcasts are a big thing, because, uh, you know, master classes where you can, you know, pay to learn a different skill or these sorts of things. Uh, sadly, I think it might mean, you know, the end of teachers in a sense. Uh, hear me out. If, <laughs> if, you know, an algebra teacher, a really good algebra teacher could record her class his or her class. And then that could be, you know, just that video is available for anybody that wants it. Right. Like now that teacher can go do something else. It's already there. Um, if we have, we essentially can increase the amount of teaching that can be done by recording things and allowing, allowing people to allowing children to kind of follow the courses that they want to learn about. Um, maybe I'm not putting this exactly in the right way, but I, essentially I think teachers could record classes and uh, then they could move on. They could then go try and teach something else, learn something else. Um, and, you know, maybe that's not what all teachers want to hear, but I think there's, there's potentiality well, I to increase the opportunities of learning uh you know through the internet and through you know may maybe it's not something pre-recorded but can be live streamed to multiple classes or to multiple groups of kids and then have more of those things available um maybe it's more of like a choose your own adventure sort of schooling right and yes. you can kind of pivot yes. when you need to hey you know this this no longer piques my interest i want to learn something else uh, and so maybe it's a lot of like shorter lectures on broad topics and then you can continue to venture on that way. That's just kind of one way I see it. I mean, we pretty much have all of the world's information at our fingertips. And I think if it yep. was structured in a way where you could, you could learn kind of, if you could learn in a more structured way through the internet, uh, instead of following, you know, silly pathways, you could follow a pathway to a PhD in X, Y, or Z. You could learn more about so, that, you know. Um, I think it also that means ahead, maybe a restructure of college. I don't think people should be paying the prices they're paying for for things that are pretty easily accessible online. Yeah, Um that definitely got my uh, creative juices flowing on thinking about it because um, when you said choose your own adventure, I was already thinking about, um, I, I listened to a podcast recently that was talking about homeschool rates uh, increasing during the pandemic and not coming down. Um, so much so that I think in, in Alaska is the highest state, they're up to like 27% of kids are homeschooled. Um, and it's also interesting that little, I don't remember the, the term, but it's basically uh, a s collective of parents that want to homeschool their kids, but also want to outsource the teaching part of homeschooling. Um, so what they do is they'll rent like, you know, office space and have a teacher come in maybe 10 or 12 or 15 
uh, homeschool kids will go there and a teacher will, will, will teach them. Um, so it's, it's almost like a, you know, a single room schoolhouse like they had in the good old days. Um, <laughs> all of that is what you were telling me though, super interesting because I think probably the solution is, um, instead of having government schools that, um, you know, use millions and millions, millions of dollars, you know, from localities every year. Um, and you know, I don't know how many billions of dollars of federal funding as well. What if instead the federal government got, you know, the top 25 teachers of every different topic in the country and got them to just for one semester, uh, record all of their, um, classroom instruction. And then, you know, they could, like you said, it can be available on the internet. Um, but they could provide those resources to everyone for free. That could be the federal government's, uh, contribution to, uh, education instead of, you know, uh, financing schools, you actually get the content and get it directly to the people. Um, then really it's just a, a technology problem, right? It's like, if you can get people internet and an iPad, they can get whatever information they need. Um, so then you could have schooling look a lot more personalized, like you were saying, a little bit of a choose your own adventure. Um, and you could have basically there be some required courses um, that, you know, teach you things about laws that teach you things about, yes, certainly, you know, math and, and some of the things that are absolutely essential. Um, I think interest rates are something that people need better information about and loans and things like that, you know, financial literacy. Um, but we could, you could then have kids basically have the ability to choose what things they're going to learn. Um, so after you get through, you know, the basics, um, then you just have certain numbers of, you know, videos you got to watch a day, right? It's, what do you want to learn about today? You can, you can learn about whatever you want. You have, like you said, basically the sum of all education knowledge at your fingertips to choose from. Um, and then, you know, questions will always come up when you're learning a topic. So the full elimination of teachers isn't possible, oh, no. but if you have like a, a single, you know, room schoolhouse type where, where it's a, a closer knit community, you know, you're, you know, it's, it's the kids of your neighbors or it's the kids of your, you know, church community members or uh, whoever it might be, you can have one adult be the advocate for those students and be able to reach out to the appropriate resources for additional information or with questions or with, you know, on those topics, because that, that adult, that teacher probably isn't going to be an expert on all these things that the kids will have access to. Um, but they can basically be the liaison there and get them the information and the, um, tech and all the stuff that they need in order to be successful. Um, and maybe this is a little bit pie in the sky, but it's like, we could take down the entire higher education system, which, you know, we're hearing about this, um, debt crisis and you know uh, a lot of the young people that voted for biden are kind of pissed because he had promised he was hmm. gonna uh, eliminate student debt and he hasn't done it um but i mean you I, for me personally university is a, is an absolute ripoff like the idea of 
anything causing costing $60,000 a year um, when the information is there and you're just basically being presented it. Yes, you have, you know, you're, you're given resources and you're given opportunity. Um, I think that that debt has become a, like an incredible boondoggle and a, a weight that our generation is, is carrying that previous ones didn't have to in the same way, because even if they did take on debt, um, the ratio of debt to, to earnings was a lot more reasonable than it is for our generation. I mean, like coming out of college, assuming you have no expenses at all, it might take you four years worth of income to pay back those four years you just got, right, of education. So that is um, fairly untenable. And the idea that, yeah, I, and I think, I think there are uh, projects underway. I mean, I know you probably use Khan Academy. I know I did in college, right? Like yep. the videos are already out there. Um, but it's the ability to then credential someone as saying uh, they have mastery over a topic that I think is still kind of the gray area. Um, but that it would be so easy to... You just hit me with a really interesting <laughs> idea. What, okay. what if there was Go. a way to validate, similar to like an NFT, that someone has you know watched the courses, taken the exams on those courses... And that would be a different way of validating, you know, someone's someone's status of uh, higher education. Is there any fruit or thought to that? Um, oh, that's that's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, non fungible. Um, yeah, absolutely. There's there's thought there. Um, it gets a little hazy on currently the way those are set up. Um, you, you still have the ability to like lose your, your, your code or your key. Um, it, I'm, I'm, it was just an think, idea. Think um, I, just cause I've, no, some it's of so the good though. Stuff that I've heard is, you know, the transactions, you know, to me, that's, you know, spending the time watching the video. If that was something that could be essentially recorded and then seen, right? Like, that to me would be some sort of way to validate. Um, oh, actually, no, I'm, you're so right. Like all that the government would have, and I, I'm a, I'm a small government believer. So this is like kind of cringy for me. <laughs> um, but basically if you're, if your social security number is uh, taken and a, and a wallet is created, that's your, you know, social security number, that's your ID, your government ID. Um, then, when you log in and you're the one watching the video, you know, taking the course when it's completed. Um, yeah, they, they give you the token that says this has been done. And then, I mean, it can be totally transparent when you're going to work for a company, right. you already have to give them that information. They can just look and see your history of, of what you've, you've learned about. And maybe that allows matchmaking to be way better because instead of saying, oh. oh, yes, I need an engineering major, you have the ability to filter and say, I need someone with these 17 skills specifically. Yeah. And I don't really need anything else, but if they have them, you know? So that's, I think that's an awesome idea. To me, it's and, like uh, a... that could actually revolutionize education. Oh, yeah. To me, it kind of seems like, you know, different achievements you get in like video games, right? And you can kind of show your quote unquote gamer score. 
as a resume, you know, the, the different things you've learned. Um, two things I wanted to just go back to real quick. Um, I think, I think this idea provides so much more opportunity for the human capital that we have. And what I mean by that is, you know, if an eighth grade teacher's teaching the same class for 40 years and then retires, right? Maybe they do that one year and then there's 39 years of other things they can provide and do and teach and learn. Um, so to me, it like opens up a, a ton of, a ton more resources. Uh, and maybe that's then kind of back to your model of, you know, kind of one adult, you know, teaching and, and being the kind of guide to different resources, right? I feel like that would be almost a new thing that teachers could be doing, right? Kind of networking, well, yeah, reaching and, and, out to, you know, different experts in different yeah. fields. Um, and then I had and one other thing. And it gives them the ability to... You go, sorry. Sorry. Um, no, you're good. It, yes, I, I like that idea on human capital. At first, I didn't... It wasn't really registering well with me because I was like, well, kids will always need someone to be there to answer the questions or to at least help ensure that they're in some sense staying on task. Um, but when you're not when the teacher isn't focused on the material, when the material is taken care of, then they can be more focused on the person. Yeah. And I think that is something that's hugely missing. And that's one of the reasons, you know, on how we got to this topic, that's one of the reasons that we're seeing the the crisis because teachers are trying to do their job, which is get material into the kid's brain so that they pass the test so that they don't get in trouble for low test scores, uh, rather than ensure that these are, people that are in their care are actually becoming, you know, whole, fulfilled, um, good, developed humans. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, the other point I wanted to uh, kind of touch on is this model would allow for people to go at their own pace. I think in the standard model, uh, the class can only go as fast as the slowest learner, in a sense, right? And if this model where you have access to the information, uh, you know, one person's kind of rolling through a certain topic. That's great. They can continue to move on and, and look at other things. Whereas the people that are uh, learning it a little slower on a topic, right. Can spend more time. And yeah, I, th I think what you said with, you know, teachers now would be able to assist the actual children instead of just trying to get material out there. Uh, it seems like a, an interesting idea. It's funny. We stumbled upon it. Yeah. Well, and when you say classes only go as fast as they're as the slowest learner, um, actually plenty of kids get left behind. They go faster than the slowest learner. And then, you know, that kid just never learned. So yeah, I think that's a huge problem. And, and like I said, uh, earlier, you know, right now, maybe six, I don't, I have no idea where I've made up that number, but I'm saying 65% of the kids are the ones that, um, you know, school works well for now um this just absolutely gives us this chance to actually maximize and i think yeah um kids that learn very fast are incredibly held back by the school system right now um where they could be you know like you said about human capital we could have so many more businesses that are started by teenagers because they were you know smart and learned quickly and enjoyed learning and had a passion for learning and instead of having to sit for 
you know, eight hours and listen to lecture on stuff they kind of already understand um, and listen to other people ask questions that they don't need to, you know, they already get. Yeah, they, they get the chance to just move on and learn more material and, and uh, find better ways to apply. And man, that's, yeah, I think that's, that's such an exciting idea for me. It makes me hopeful, but the barriers to change are so incredibly massive when you think about the institutional power that, you know, a place like Harvard has on trying to ensure that they are still getting their billions of dollars in endowment and, you know, they're still relevant um, as well as the government on making sure that it still has like control over uh, people's lives. I don't know that the change can happen, um, but I know it needs to. And I think that, yeah, this is an, an exciting idea. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think that's, that's one path to be, to go down that could provide more meaning and opportunities to people. Uh, well, and it also just, sorry, go ahead. Oh no. I don't mean no, to interrupt you. Well, I was just going to say, and you know, if, if that's, if that's what we're looking at for when it comes to mental health issues, um, I think, I think it's a very interesting idea and, uh, maybe it starts small. Maybe, maybe, maybe it starts in a community and Hey, this is, this is the way we're going to try and do things. Um, I don't know that you can change the system, you know, overnight or really widespread. It would have to be something that would start small. It made me think too, uh, going to public schools, did you ever have like a, a world religions, uh, class or anything that not like religious education as in teaching you, but, but more of just like so that you have the opportunity to know what the different religions around the world are. I think we had like world history, but I don't think it really went into all the different religions. I think that was more in college. You could start to learn more about that, at least for me. Yeah. And okay. That's what I thought I had. I went to a Catholic school, so I had a religion class every year. And then one of the years we actually had world religions as the class that I was learning the different faiths. Um, but the government has decided that, you know, separation of church and state means you're not allowed to say the word God in schools. Otherwise you get in trouble. But if, if you go down this method, you know, that we're talking about, we're, we're just taking educators and we're getting the material to the kids. They can provide religious education as well. And it's not mandatory. You don't have to click the video if you don't want it. And it doesn't like, I'm not just saying Christian, it can be all the different faiths can have their best teachers put the religious education out there and, you know, let kids learn about different cultures and different religions and things like that um, through the government without it being mandated. And I, I, I was just thinking about that because, um, you know, going back to the root of what we were talking about, you said, you know, in order to provide more meeting, one of the things I would say is, you know, bring God and faith back or reading more books or restructuring schools. And that's how we, ended up on this topic and it's like oh you can kind of do those other two things through this this method too right you can without really promoting it but you can you can make available the resources for people to learn about different faiths and i i think that every study in the world has shown that uh people that follow religion you know are happier 
than, than people that don't. Um, and that is, to me, most likely another cause of um, kind of the, the nihilism and the destruction that we see in, in these shootings. Um, so giving the people that opportunity and then also having, you know, the Library of Congress has every book, basically, that uh, could be had in, in America. It's, it's a massive collection of literature. And digitizing that and making it available uh, would hurt Amazon's bottom line, but it would help kids so much. Uh, and I think, like we talked about before, there are books that should be required reading. Um, I think Man's Search for Meaning should be read by everybody. So putting in some stop gaps and saying, these are the books and, you know, make it available in audio form. I don't care. You know, that's fine. Make it available uh, however it's needed so that the kids actually have the chance to consume it and understand it. Um, but we can, you know, that can be one of the boxes that has to be clicked in order to um, say that the education has been thorough and that you've gotten through it. So, um, yeah, I, uh, yeah, it's, I also, to kind of go off that, I feel like, you know, having the opportunity to learn about different religions, different cultures, that's a great way to promote diversity of ideas. Right. Um, I think that's talked about a lot. Um, normally by, you know, the left and we need to provide diversity and what a better way than to allow people to, to choose to learn different things and have that, have access to those different ideas. I just think it's a, I don't know. It's a, it's a really interesting idea and I'm, I'm glad we stumbled upon it. Yeah, me too. I, it's interesting you say, I'm, I'll throw a little, uh, tension in the mix here Ooh. i don't think that the left is usually a big fan of diversity of ideas well i think they're they are a big fan of diversity but that's usually like racial diversity and uh sexual identity diversity and uh things like that so i i would agree with you um but to me when i think diversity i think of diversity of ideas and how different people live or in different parts of the world how different cultures came to be, uh, the types of food they they cook, um, you know what resources were available to them, how they grew into into a society. I think those are the things that would actually help reduce you know racism. Uh, being able to kind of learn from from different people, right? Like you don't get to choose your educators when you're in a certain school district, um, and you know, their biases, biases uh, can then, you know, push students in a certain direction. Um, but I think you you help uh, you help to alleviate that by having more choices. Yeah, 100 percent. And and that's why, you know, I said get the top 25 people in each subject, yeah. because there might be teachers that you know, kids relate to really well. And there might be ones that don't, and it's going to be different for every person. So if you're starting through a lesson plan and you're like, nah, I'm just not getting it, having the chance to switch and, and try somebody else and see how, you know, they try to teach it, uh, I think is, is key. And so, yeah, a hundred percent though, what you were saying about understanding com being the, uh, the chief, you know, combatant to, uh, racism, I think is huge. And yeah, I think that having, uh, I mean, think about, 
for me at least, I had world history and I had U.S. history as two years of social studies classes. I think that given the opportunity to have a much more um, narrow focus in history, like there are wildly uh, rich histories of China um, that I know exist that I never learned about. Um, I mean, they have one of the, you know, they had dynasties that lasted thousands of years. And that's just not something that we saw other places in the world. And that's not, I mean, obviously, America, it's, <laughs> with the path we're headed, we're not going to make it to a thousand years. So, uh, um, but that being said, the ability to have, you know, some of the best Chinese historians sit down and, and teach. And then, you know, when I just am, you know, something comes up and uh, I want to learn a little bit about China, I can click on that video and, and learn quite a lot. I mean, I think that's why in college, a lot of people go through, at least people that I know, would go through phases. And I know you would too occasionally, and I, I did, of kind of binging YouTube videos and going down a rabbit hole. And it's like, why can't we just let kids do that Yeah, with educational purposes only, you know? <laughs> well, and that's where that's where it might be. There probably needs to be a set standard of, of courses you probably need to go through, reading, writing, arithmetic, uh, and then you can kind of branch out, and it can be a more choose-your-own-adventure. Because um, well, I think there's things, and, everything, right. everybody probably at a baseline needs to understand in order to be successful in, in the adult world. Yes, and I think that kind of already exists, but I think that the... I don't think that it's refined well now to actually accomplish what it's trying to accomplish, which is, you know, uh, someone that's ready to do well in the real adult world. Um, so we need to change that a little bit and, and tighten it up. Um, but like, I think that there's still so much time. There's so much room for, uh, more like learning to happen. So I, I think that if, yeah, reading, writing, arithmetic is, is in there. And then at certain ages, you know, there are more things that need to be known, right? Man search for meaning isn't appropriate for uh, probably a seventh grader to read. Um, but, you know, for a, a high school junior, high school senior, it absolutely is. Um, so at those different stages of, of development, we just have to put those things that are absolutely necessary in there first, not, not even necessarily first, wherever, as long as they're in there, uh, and then, you know, give them the freedom to explore their other things. And I, I know that teaching is more than videos. Like I, this, it sounds kind of, um, reductionist for us to just sit here and say, Oh, record everything. It'll be fine. Um, but I think that it gives communities also the ability to have, a, a really divert, like it, it, it allows communities to, um, set up opportunities for kids to learn in a hands-on situation um, more as they will. Um, I'm thinking of uh, a mechanic shop that would expand a little bit and have a class that's taught once a week for kids that want to go in and learn about cars. I'm thinking of things like that where, you know, with a little bit of community funding, it wouldn't be too hard for the trades and for apprenticeship to, to kind of make a comeback for sure. Um, and for other things like 
biology where you know you want to have the lab experience there could that could also be done through community it wouldn't that doesn't have to be in a school that can be kind of a, a separate thing that if someone takes a good bit of interest in biology um then you know it, that could be a, a resource that is set up for by the community that kids can go in and you know without it being having a cost associated with it um get the experience of kind of what would be going on in a chemistry lab or in a biology lab or whatever that would be well to me kind of right it's that human capital thing now the teachers can do the fun opportunities the hands-on stuff and not worry about the the content before right so i mean maybe it's you know uh, not you're going to school you know 40 hours a week but you can go for you know x number of hours each week and and there's all these different things going on at the school, right? Like, and it's, it's more the hands-on, right? Like after you've been validated in, you know, this group of things, you have the background understanding and now you can apply that. I just think, uh, I don't even, I, I get what you're saying where it's more, you know, community, uh, set up, but I think that same thing now that could be the schools. Schools could be the hands-on places, right? Um, yeah, yeah. A hundred percent. That's true. I was, I was thinking of the old adage. Um, I, I actually don't remember it, but it's, uh, those who can't do teach is the, is the, kind of the <laughs> line there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so I was just imagining that, you know, if, if you had the opportunity instead of just learning from a biology teacher, but to actually go into a lab where, um, you know, uh, research is, is actively happening and kind of, uh, observe. And I, I was kind of just trying to make a, a pitch for, for more apprenticeship, but I, I definitely understand what you mean. We already have the school buildings. They're going to be used for something. Might as well keep teachers in them and, uh, you know, people at least that can, uh, give kids the opportunity to, uh, get some hands-on knowledge. I, I do agree with you though. I think, I think that could be another part of it, right? Like having opportunities of, you know, Hey, there's different there's different jobs that are being done in the city, right? And that could be a more community based thing as well. Um, yeah, no, I I completely agree with you as well. I didn't mean to take that out, and I think there is something to be said for, you know, a lot of to me a lot of my college professors weren't as weren't as in touch with what goes on in industry versus you know what goes on in a textbook so i think you know having those opportunities to actually go into an industry or like you said like a lab uh would be worthwhile yeah i think that um yeah i i think it would be too so man i not gonna lie it's kind of amazing that we're already at an hour it just feels <laughs> like that this conversation has flown but um any closing thoughts? I know that, you know, we weren't necessarily paying on talking about schools for half the time, but I think that it was uh, a fun conversation, not really actionable, but uh, I guess the, my call to action would be uh, vote for people that recognize that current education system is a problem and are willing to look at ways to alleviate that problem. Yeah. Uh, I know we kind of started out with, you know, the uh, current tragic events, uh, that have been going on. Um, and it's, 
I, I don't know that there's necessarily too much that can be done without, you know, striking at the root of the problem. And I think what we discussed was, you know, maybe maybe pie in the sky, but I think we have to come up with new ideas in order to combat these new issues, right? Kind of like you said, yep. uh, these Columbine shootings started in, you said, late 90s. Um, and it's only in a sense, gotten worse. So, so we have a new problem. Um, we know that criminals can still get weapons if they choose to. Um, you know, we also talked about maybe, maybe it's not right for an 18 year old to, to kind of be an adult, uh, cause your mind's still developing and to be making, you know, choices like I'm going to take on this much debt. Maybe it's not the best choice at 18. Um, I think there's a lot of things uh, to be discussed, but yeah, uh, I'm excited to kind of hear what our listeners think, and uh, I'm glad we had the conversation, Paul. Absolutely, it was it was a good conversation. This one was a, a little bit more off the cuff. I didn't I didn't do any uh, big preparations about um, the the shootings. I was aware of them though, and I had of course read and listened to a lot of people talking about them, and I was like, man. I don't know about you, but it didn't feel like there was really much else that people would have uh, wanted to hear about based on the, the recent news. And it, it is, it's a really hard thing to talk about. So, uh, but I'm, I'm glad we had the conversation too. Uh, and quick ending note, um, follow us on Instagram at brace.22. And if you have any comments for us, any questions, anything you want to hear us discuss, any books you want to read with us, you can send us an email at brace22 at protonmail.com. We appreciate you listening. If you have found any value, if you enjoyed this podcast, please go ahead and give it a share and give us five stars. I haven't really been asking for that, but I think we should. I think we've earned our five stars at this point. Right, guys? All right. Right, We appreciate it. We'll talk to you next time. (laughs) Bye-bye. Goodbye.